This is a really beautiful story. It's a classic. St. Luke tells the story in a really captivating way. So it's not just a good literature story. It's also very significant for us as Christians. What's being said here, and what meaning does it have for us? Let's just take a couple pieces and see what he says. He begins saying, now that very day, that very day. So he's setting the context of this story that's taking place after the resurrection. This is a resurrection appearance. We might know that, but it's important to hold on to that. That very day. Remember, creation began on Sunday, six days, day of rest. And then now Sunday is the day of resurrection. It's the day of new creation. It's the eighth day, which is the first day of new creation. As an aside, if you ever go to, this one's not that way, but if you ever go to churches and they have an eight-sided baptismal font, the eighth day, the new creation takes place in that font. Just interesting little tidbit. Uh, Okay, where are they going? Going to a village seven miles from Jerusalem called Emmaus. Where's Emmaus? Nobody really seems to know. There's lots of different interpretations. I, I think one maybe is particularly instructive for us today. There's some people that would say that Emmaus really actually isn't even a town. It's seven miles outside of Jerusalem, but it's not really a place. So where are the disciples going? They're on the road to nowhere. They're not going anywhere. It's interesting how they know all the facts but can't interpret them because they're on the road to nowhere. Without Jesus as your your rock, without Jesus as giving you direction in your life, where are you headed? With no direction, you might spend yourself, walk a very long distance, maybe even a very fast, but you might run in the wrong direction, but you get nowhere. So the disciples are on the road to nowhere. And as they're on the road, Jesus himself drew near. Isn't that amazing? That's really good news. Christianity is not so much about us seeking God. It's about even when we're on the road to nowhere, even when we're wandering aimlessly, it's how God shows up in our life and seeks us out. That's really good news. That we have a God who pursues us. He shows up, what do they talk about? Well, first of all, they didn't recognize him. Specifically, it says they were prevented. Their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Why could they not see him for who he is? All of the resurrection accounts all have something of a mystery. You know, he shows up and Mary thinks he's the gardener. Or he shows up at the charcoal fire and the disciples don't recognize him until he tells them to cast the nets to the side. He shows up here, and they don't recognize him until later. So there's, there's always something kind of mysterious about his appearance. You can't quite pin him down. But something even more significant. How can they not recognize him? Well, they, they're not following him. 
You can't recognize him unless, unless you have a direction in your life, unless you're following him. And then he gets them to talk to him, and he, he asks them questions, and they say, Cleopas, one of them, says, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know these things, who doesn't know what's taking place? Are you the only visitor? Bishop Robert Barron has a, a nice phrase. He says, that's supreme irony, because in fact, he's the only one who really does know what took place. He's the only one who actually knows everything that happened. And they're saying, are you the only one who's ignorant to this? He says, what sort of things? He knows them, but he wants the disciples to recount the story. He says, what sort of things? Tell me, what do you know? And then they recount the whole story. Here's what's beautiful about it. They get everything right. They say, this took place, and then he appeared to disciples, and we thought he'd be the one, but he ended up dying. So they, they get all of the facts right, but they still don't get the story. They don't understand it. This story, it's all about how Jesus reveals himself to us and how we understand him. You ever, you ever have that experience where you know all of the facts of the story, any scientists in here, you do the experiment, you get it right every single time, all of the facts are right there, but you still can't figure out what's happening? It's amazing. A joke? Someone ever told you a joke and you just stare at them? <laughs> I don't get it. They told you everything you need to know. You know all the facts, but nothing clicked because you don't understand it. That's what's happening here. They don't understand it because they have no direction in their life. So Jesus is going to give them direction. As they are on the road to nowhere, that's the exact opposite of our Lord, is it not? He resolutely set his face towards Jerusalem. Set his face like flint. I'm going to Jerusalem, come hell or high water. Literally hell. I'm going to Jerusalem. He had a purpose to his life. And that purpose we discovered, it's the Paschal Mystery. His purpose was to suffer and to die, and also to rise. So if we wish not to be on the road to nowhere, we must follow the road that leads where he, le where he led. Okay, now let's ask the question. They're blind. They can't figure it out. They know all the facts. How does Jesus reveal himself to them? How do they discover him? How do they come to know and interpret rightly all the facts now? Well, a couple things. You know, you know the story. We just heard it. Jesus takes this book. He didn't have the book. He had it memorized. And he says, let me tell you everything about it, everything about this book that speaks about me. I'm going to interpret all of the scriptures to show you how they all point to me. He says, turn to, turn to Genesis chapter 3. Oh, that's about me. Turn to Exodus chapter 28. That's also about me. And Isaiah 7, that's about me. And he interprets all of the scriptures. He breaks open the word and interprets for them how it speaks of him. And then as he's pretending to leave, they ask him to stay. And at dinner, he breaks bread. So he breaks open the word and reveals himself through that. 
And then at dinner, he breaks bread and reveals himself through the breaking of the bread. Is this not the Mass? We just heard the scriptures, and now the homily is the attempt to break it open for us. Pretty soon, we will, at the hands of the priest, break bread, and you will receive from, uh, you will receive from our Lord's own will his body and blood. He will give himself to you. But I think there's one more thing in particular today that it's important to remember as we hear all of these accounts after the gospel is being preached. There's one more significant thing that takes place, really, really in nearly every single account. They break open the word, they break bread, and also they break open their lives. God breaks open the power of evil and sin in their lives and works miraculous signs and wonders to prove that this is true. It happens in almost every proclamation of the gospel. Someone's cured, some demon is being cast out. Some miracle takes place because the gospel is not made known in human eloquence, but in the power of God. So we might have passed one-on-one, theology one-on-one with flying colors, but if it's not powerful for us, we know the facts and we don't know the story. We can't interpret. How many times have we gone to Mass and it just kind of becomes that routine. There's a familiarity. It ceases to be powerful for us. It's because we know the facts, but it's not broken open in power yet. So when the gospel is made known, it's broken open in power. And we see that in accompanying signs and wonders. Now you might say, well, that's, that's great for, for the early Christians and the Acts of the Apostles. Guess what? This book... This is the life and miracles of St. Benedict. It's written by Pope St. Gregory the Great. This, because he wrote this book, we Benedictines have our charism. And the reason he wrote this book, 500 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, St. Uh, Gregory says, I need you people, you Italians, to know that there are really saints walking among you right now. I'm going to write about a book or write about one of them in this book. And it's all about the life and miracles of St. Benedict. Two of them are enshrined in the fresco up there. You see in the, the bottom left, St. Benedict is blessing a rock, and there's a devil that's being cast out from the rock so that he can build his monastery. That's why the medal of St. Benedict is used in exorcisms, because St. Benedict had the power over Satan and evil. The top left... You see St. Benedict raising his hand in blessing over a man. You can look at it later. I know it's hard to see. Over a man covered with a cloth. He's blessing this dead man and raising him back to life. St. Benedict actually raised somebody to life. That's amazing. 500 years after Jesus, miracles are still happening. Okay, that's great. What about today? There's a really interesting documentary called The Insanity of God. We watched it on the bus ride to March for Life. And there's a line in there that said, this book, this Bible, is not a past tense book. It's a present tense book. These things are happening now because it's a living and active word. Let me tell you about a couple stories. I'm not telling you about saints. I'm telling you about the power of God. He wrote about a dead man. I want to talk to you about living people who you know 
Right? There's a, one of your own classmates, a woman who was on a mission trip. A stone fell on her foot. I saw the picture. It was pretty hideous. Black and blue, broken toe, clearly broken toe. One of your own classmates this happened to. So the group prayed over her foot. Still hurt, she went to bed. Woke up the next day. What do you think she did? Totally cured. (laughs) No bruising, no broken bone. It looked like a sledgehammer hit her foot. And the next morning it was totally gone. I saw both pictures. There's a timestamp on both. You can't make this up. Let me tell you about another story. Another one of your classmates. Couldn't talk, couldn't speak. She came up to me to ask if I could pray with her, have a healing mass. Oh yeah, sure, let's do that, that'd be great. Before I got to her, someone else did. And they prayed with her. Two days later, I'm talking in full voice to her, praising God for the power of his miraculous power, making the gospel known. Another story. I know a man who prayed with a woman who was walking along, dragging her foot. You could tell it hurt. He prayed with her. Didn't know her. Total stranger. He said a Hail Mary over the foot. So okay, you know, it's a pleasure. <laughs> Starts walking away, and he turns around, and he just hears this, this screaming, hey, 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 and she's jumping, and she's stomping her foot. You can't, This is beyond the natural power for us to do this kind of stuff. We can't do it, which is why God's power is made known in our weakness. Because we can't, then we know it's him. I know someone who cured a person with scoliosis. Woman had scoliosis. They prayed. No longer. She walked straight. And there's more. There's lots more. This is just a couple years of me being as chaplain. I get to collect these stories. This is God's power being made known. He breaks open the word, he breaks open bread, and he breaks open our lives. So let me say one practical application. This Tuesday, at 7.30, just below us, in the Guadalupe Chapel, we're going to have a healing mass. So there'll be mass, there'll be prayer, we'll have uh, adoration, confession, and prayer ministry. Everybody needs healing of some kind, psychological, physical, spiritual, emotional. Everybody needs healing of some kind. If you want God to heal you, if you want his healing power to touch you, and if you ask him to, he will do it 100% of the time. Maybe not in the way that you think, but he always heals. So if you want that, Tuesday at 7.30, just below us, come pray with us. Kind of a neat treat. I actually get to pick up a relic of Father Michael McGivney, who's not canonized yet, but his process is underway. He's the founder of the Knights of Columbus. So we will pray with that relic, and maybe a miracle will take place, and someone will get to be that story that helps raise this man to the altar. God's power is present now. We just tend to restrict him and don't think that he can do it. Let's, let's let him do it. Break open in the word. Break open the bread. And break open our lives today and every day.